Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. This is episode number 301. And with that number, we'll give a shout out to an area code. Yes, an area code. That is Chicago's area code, home of U.S. soccer, and of course, the Chicago Red Stars, who play on the big CBS game this weekend for End of Yourself Fall Series. All right, two chats on this episode. First, I spoke with the newest NWSL broadcaster. That's Lisa Roman. She's already done a few games as analyst. She played at Marquette University with Morgan Prophet and also Megan Kelly. And she's pretty young, pretty new to broadcasting, but already showing her chops. And I had a great chat with her about how she prepares for the game, games and, and thoughts on the game she's called so far. Then I spoke with John Halloran, a Chicago soccer reporter, of course, 301 area code. We talked about uh, the Chicago players who have really stood out, not only in the fall series games, but also Challenge Cup, um, what Chicago is going to look like going forward, and just thoughts on the games of the fall series so far. And of course, there is a Jensplainer segment today explaining what what it means when you hear the phrase across all competitions. All right, don't forget to follow me at Keeper Notes and at Mixzone, and that's always two X's in Mixzone. And enjoy this episode. All right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper here with Lisa Roman, the newest. NWSL broadcaster and of course former college soccer player current soccer coach um, apparently Lisa soccer is your whole life so so tell me about that Jen it is my whole life and I could not be happier about it thanks so much for having me yeah it's great so you came out of the college ranks uh, playing at Marquette with a uh, couple NWSL players that fans might know, Megan Kelly and uh, Morgan Prophet. Um, how did you end up getting into broadcasting coming from college soccer? Yeah, so I played with Megan Kelly for one year and then Morgan Prophet all four years. Uh, she was in my class with me. Um, going into college, I knew I wanted to study journalism. I was on the paper in high school and everything like that, but I also had this deep passion for soccer. Um, and thankfully, Marquette is the perfect combination of them both with an incredible soccer program in the Big East. And then their journalism school and their communication school is really top notch, especially in the Midwest. Um, and it, the combination of the two really, it, it stuck together for me. I actually, I, I heard of Marquette first because of their journalism program. And then um, a little bit later, I was at a soccer showcase where college coaches come and watch you play and Marquette coach was there. Um, so it's a little bit of like the stars aligning for me and it ended up being the best four years of my life that gave me an incredible soccer experience combined with a tremendous education. So once you graduate, I mean, how do you start getting broadcasting gigs or yeah, how, how does that work? Yeah, that was probably the hardest part for me because being a student athlete, I didn't have the time to have five or six internships throughout my college years, which a lot of my classmates did in the School of Communication and Journalism and Broadcast. Um, so I always felt like I was a little bit behind in the real life experience of journalism and broadcast. Um, 
thankfully, though, I was played in the Big East. So after I graduated, um, I, I reached out to the Big East and said, hey, I'm a former player. I'm looking to get into this field with the Big East Digital Network. Can you take a chance on me? And they did. Um, and my senior year after the fall season had ended, I, I really took a deep dive into my field and my career. And I had a few internships my senior spring just to get on the board and get a lot of experience. So I was hired by Fox Sports North and Fox Sports Wisconsin to shadow and be an intern for them covering the Bucks and Brewers. And then Marquette University Athletic Program, the head of media at the time, uh, Patrick Reed hired me as a student intern for him, which gave me the opportunity to just interview my friends that were athletes at the school for GoMarquette.com. So thankfully, the people around me in the school and the program and the conference of Big East knew that I was hopefully they knew that I was hardworking and I, I wanted to do this and I was willing to do anything just to get a chance and just get reps, calling games, being a reporter, anything in front of the camera, behind the camera in production. Um, and Big East took a chance on me and Marquette took a chance on me and it paid off from there. I just kept getting more experience. Well, one of the, the big things I, I'd say I'd learned in the last three years, you know, in, in my kind of sudden exposure to broadcast and behind the scenes is that most of it you can't learn unless you do it, right? There's no like mm -hmm. class exactly. for it. You just have to do it. And like you said, shadow a lot of people doing it. Um, but most importantly, being on air, like it's it's the reps, like you, totally you don't get good by yeah. practicing. You, you don't get good by pretending <laughs> to be on air. You get good by actually being on air. So, um, I mean, that must have been a little nerve wracking. Like, can you remember the first game you called? Yeah, it, definitely. It was nerve wracking. And even in college, I tried to, for like Marquette University television, like the school television station, I tried to be on all of their shows just as much as I can. I remember like leaving practice and like sprinting back to the locker rooms, jumping in the showers, like trying to blow dry my hair and put on different clothes. And uh, a couple of times the head coach at Marquette, Marcus Roters, would see me and be like, hey, where are you going? Like, you look so nice. Like you just ran out of practice. Like, what's up? What's on your mind? And I was like, oh, I'm about to go be on the student television station and he would drive me it was the studio was across campus from our soccer locker rooms and Marcus would be like hey jump in like I'll take you across campus don't worry about being late like I'll get you there um so <laughs> yeah getting on air experience was so crucial and then uh, you asked about my first time the first time I did the sideline reporting for the Big East Digital Network was at Villanova I was so nervous. I mean, it was weird because I had just graduated. So I knew all of the players in the league, both teams that were playing. I knew all of them, but it was a, a different perspective being on the opposite side of the white painted line and talking about the game, not just analyzing it as a player. That was the biggest switch I had to make. Right, because it's not just your thought process of, hey, mm -hmm. I need to do this or this is happening, but you're communicating it to an audience, both visually and orally, you know, um, and also working with a broadcast partner, right? So exactly. I, I mean, that, that's something that I found found really interesting where it's, it's like, it's so nice when you can build up a relationship with someone, right? And you don't always have the luxury of working with the same people 
week in, week out. So like your first NWSL game a couple weekends ago, um, I think you were with Mike Watts, you know, yes. and yeah. And then this past weekend you were with Josh, Josh Eastern. So how do you like, do you talk to the other person just like, Hey, this is what I'm used to, or this is what you're used to, or it's just understood that it's like, this is what I do. This is what you do. No, I mean, there's definitely an element of like, let's get to know each other a little bit before, um, before I worked with Josh Eastern, I reached out to him and personally via email and said, Hey, I'm your new partner for next weekend. I'd love to just chat on the phone this week about anything just to hear his voice first of all, and kind of tell him about myself. And it's just a way to kind of feel each other out. So I know, oh, he's really easygoing and a conversation will be easy or no, he really likes to stick to the game. So let's try to focus more analytically about what we're going to talk about. And a lot of people in this field understand that to have that banter back and forth on air is really important. Um, So I do try to reach out to my partner before I'm working with them that week, just so I can get a feel for who they are and they can get a feel for who I am. Cause I, I'm, I am a little bit new to the NWSL league. Um, but I do have a lot of knowledge and to your point about what do we kind of talk about on air? I try to tell them like, Hey, this is like, feel free to ask me questions throughout the game. If you see something that you think the viewers are also questioning about, ask me, say, hey, why do you think it's working for Chicago to go down the middle of the field? Like, what are you seeing that is working for them? Um, So I always try to tell my play-by-plays, ask me questions. If you see it, I'm sure the viewers are seeing it too. And I can 99% answer that for you and give you a reason why it's happening. And that's great, you know, that, you know, to build that before you guys call a game together, right? And Mm-hmm. And I also want to know about like all the research that you do. I mean, I, I do this, a lot of broadcasters do this, but I, but I think everybody's got their own little way of doing things. And, and again, as someone who's still very new to this and did not come to broadcasting through their traditional roots, like, I feel like every time I'm calling a game with someone, I'm looking, I'm like, Oh, that's how they do that. And this, cause you know, it's like, I didn't, <laughs> nobody gave me the instruction manual for this. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so, I don't even think there is an instruction manual. It's just, <laughs> trial and error sometimes so how do you prep for for games <laughs> um yeah prep is 99 of the work it's i it's one way i explain it to people who aren't in the field my friends who are like well your game's on saturday why are you doing things on monday for it um i, I kind of tell them yeah <laughs> in a, the broadest the broadest sense of it is when your teacher in school says we have a test on Friday, you get to bring one sheet of paper that you can look at, but you only have 20 minutes to do the test. So you spend all this time reading the textbook, learning everything you can and figuring out what notes you want to write down on your cheat sheet that you get to bring into your test. But then when the test comes, you don't have time to look at it. You either know the material or you don't, and you take the test as best as you can. So that's the most broad translation I can make for calling a game. You do all this prep, and you learn as much as you can about the players, where they've been, their past. You read articles on them from their hometown. If a player from Oklahoma went to Chicago and is now playing for the Red Stars, you go back to her hometown and find those articles that interviewed her 
before the draft, after she didn't get drafted, and and then when she got the call from the coach right before preseason to come out for a walk-on tryout, because those small-town stories actually interview the player and give you word for word what they're saying and what that player is thinking. So I try to do as much research on the team, the history of the team, the players, the coaches, um, players that were there previously, players that are just on the reserve team, and just gather all this knowledge that I can. It's all about preparation. And I make my boards, which have all the players' information, but as soon as the first whistle blows and it's game time, I rarely look at my notes because I'm watching the game and I'm trying to analyze it. And I already... I know what I need to know about those players. If someone is traditionally a a center defense and they're playing on the outside mid, as soon as we get the lineups, I'm aware. I see that switch, and that's something that then I can relay to our viewers about what happened. But, Jen, it is 100% about the preparation before a game. Yeah, and and that's – I think that was probably – I'd say the steepest learning curve for me with broadcast mm-hmm. was just how much work you have to do in advance because it's all about being prepared in case something happens, right? Like I'll yeah. probably never use all my notes because you don't know oh, what's going to yeah. happen in a game, but you have to be <laughs> prepared lot- in case things happen. <laughs> Exactly. And soccer is a very interesting sport because there can be slower moments of just build up possession where that's the time to unfold a story. Or if if the game is a really fast pace and it's back and forth and there's a lot of action, you never get into those stories and, and personnel stories that you did all the prep for. But the one time that the player that came in off the bench in the 85th minute scores the goal, you immediately can know everything about her and know, hey, this is her first career goal and she's been in the league for four years. Like, this is a big moment for her, but you have to know that immediately. So it's all about the preparation you do. And then when the time comes for the opportunity to share the stories about the players, you already know them. Right, right. So let's talk about uh, the first couple of NWSL games that, that that you called. So you, you called the opener, the Chicago, no, the Washington Sky Blue game mm-hmm. on September 5th. Um, and then this past weekend, uh, you called both the North Carolina Orlando game for the international feed and then also the 4-1 Chicago Sky Blue result. So so thoughts on the, on, on the, the three games you've called so far? what you liked, what surprised you, um, what you're looking forward to in in the rest of the fall series? Well, I mean, the opportunity to cover the league was just one I was so excited and so grateful for. So I wanted to do the teams and the players justice by having as much prep in my back pocket as I could. Um, But what probably the best thing for me was watching and being able to like call and analyze such a high level of soccer. Um, it's it's really nice to do that. It's so fun to watch these athletes that are so talented. Um, and then in this fall series the, for the NWSL that I am calling, we're seeing so many new players, young players that haven't gotten a lot of game time and they're now starting. So to watch these players develop that have never been on anyone's radar before, now really step into the spotlight and take on that responsibility of being being 
a star for some of these teams. Um, it's really fun to watch and, and to watch these players grow because I called two sky blue games, uh, the first game against Washington on September 5th and then last weekend versus Chicago. So to watch a team develop over two weeks was really fun. To call. It's always great to call the same team again. First of all, you already know the players, so you just have to dig a little deeper during your prep and kind of remind yourself of everything that happened. But to watch different personnel in different positions or players that didn't get the start one week, but now they are this week, and watch as the team evolves and grows throughout a season is so fun to do. Well, that's what I loved about calling almost every game of the Challenge Cup this summer was Mm -hmm. that it was just another chapter in the same story. I wasn't swooping in once a month into Florida to call a couple of games, you know, having not seen, not called the Mm -hmm. previous game. It was just like, it's like you got to know everything so well, right? You saw the same highlights over and over and it's just like a a luxury that I hadn't experienced before (laughs) in in, in, in the broadcast world. Um, Well, and also, in addition to your broadcasting, you're also working as a soccer coach. So yeah, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about that about that. Like what level and and how do you balance the the broadcast work and the coaching work? Um, I coach high school girls soccer, the varsity team. Um, It's actually my alma mater, Mount St. Joseph's Academy uh, here in Philadelphia in the suburbs. Yeah, so that really came about as a fluke after I graduated. The coach reached out and was like, hey, you you just played Division One. Are you in the area? Do you want to come to some practices? We'd love to have your knowledge. Um, and I had never really thought about coaching. I mean, I did it growing up at the club level, and it was that a lot of players do that. They coach the younger teams. Um, but I never thought about doing it at a higher uh, high school soccer level Um, and the first season it was just so much fun and I realized that it's truly the best of both worlds for me because I get to play sometimes and demonstrate drills or do things so I still have that aspect of lacing up my boots every day on the field but it combines my broadcasting skills as well because as a coach you have to be able to explain what the move is or what the drill is or formations or how to drop and give angles on a pass. Um, So it's a combination of being a player and being a broadcaster is coaching. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the perfect overlap. It is the perfect overlap. And it's, it's hard to manage in the fall because that's when our high school soccer season is. So I have practice every day. Um, so between three and seven, I'm driving to the field at the field, playing and coaching and then driving home and decompressing. Um, but so my brain for the entire season for high school and the NWSL right now is all soccer. Everything I'm doing is soccer, which I mean, it really doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> Well, last question for you, Lisa. Have you ever thought about, hey, I'm not that far out of school. Why why don't I, you know, spend a few months getting into crazy good shape and try out for an NWSL team? You know what, Jen? The thought honestly never crossed my crossed my mind just because um, <laughs> I I I love soccer so much, but I am 
very happy calling the game and just watching <laughs> watching from the screen I, screen I mean the players that play right now are, are in crazy good shape I mean yeah I work out I'm an athlete but I cannot compete for 90 minutes with these women they are just incredible incredible athletes well, Lisa, I'm so glad um, that, that we have an, another woman on the broadcast crew for the NWSL streams, especially someone who has played with some of the NWSL mm-hmm. players. And and I, I hope you enjoy all the soccer in your crowded fall schedule. <laughs> yes, soccer. Wake up, eat, sleep, soccer. It's amazing. Time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, what do I mean when I say across all competitions? You might hear this phrase uh, on upcoming NWSL broadcasts, and you definitely see it if you look on Wikipedia for any player who's played in Europe. What that phrase means is they're putting all the stats together as one category. Because now that we've had the NWSL Challenge Cup and we have this fall series, neither of which is the regular season nor either of them is the <laughs> playoffs, they're their own separate categories. So if I'm referring to goals that Lynn Williams has scored, she has 50 in the NWSL regular season. She has three in the NWSL playoffs. She has three from the Challenge Cup and one so far in the fall series. So if I say she has 57 NWSL goals, I'm going to say across all competitions, saying within all NWSL competitions, she's got 57. So whenever you're seeing stats come up, there should be qualifiers like 50 regular season goals, you know, three playoff goals. The whole idea is that you're always comparing apples to apples. So when we say Sam Kerr is the all-time leading scorer for NWSL with 77 goals, that number actually does not count her one playoff goal, right? Because that's representing a regular season. It's not combining all of them together. Eventually, we'll start having the all-time leader across all competitions. You don't see that very often, but it's important now that we have these different elements of, of NWSL competition that we categorize everything correctly. And if we combine them together, that we say across all competitions. You've probably already seen in European competition, if you've paid any attention to Champions League or any club play, you look at a player's Wikipedia page, it'll break out that, hey, she plays for Bayern Munich. She has this many goals in league play, this many goals in cup play, and this many goals in Champions League play, right? And they don't get combined unless you say across all competitions. All right. I think I've said that phrase way too many times now, but I think everyone gets the point. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with John Halloran, Chicago soccer reporter extraordinaire, mostly Woso, but but I think occasionally you still write a little Broso. Yes, no, not much anymore. I think maybe, gosh, I'm trying to think of when the this sounds negative. I don't mean it that way. When the men didn't make the World Cup was pretty much the end for me. Yeah, so you can say you're you're semi-retired from covering yeah. Broso, but, but you are leader of the pack in Chicago for for covering Woso, excluding, of course, we should, you know, give a shout out to Sandra Herrera, um, one of your one of your Chicago beat reporter partners. But 
of course, I wanted to have you on to talk Chicago, Chicago, Chicago after they had that great 4-1 win at home last weekend and they get to be on big CBS this weekend. So so first off, thoughts thoughts on that game? I mean, their first time to play at home since that semifinal last October. Yeah, you know, I thought it was kind of just a nice continuation off the first 40 minutes from the Washington game, um, which kind of got marred in the end because of the McCaskill red card. But I thought that through that first 40 minutes against Washington, they were playing some of the best soccer that I had seen in quite a while. And I think what you saw uh, against Sky Blue is just kind of a continuation of that, I guess, minus the first few minutes when they gave up uh, the opener. But uh, they played they played well. Their countering was, was sharp. And I thought Kaleo High, who or Kaleo Watt, sorry, um, who had – you could see that she was super close to, to being that impact player in the challenge cup. I think she finally hit that gear that, uh, that they were hoping that uh, she could hit when they brought her to Chicago. And watching that game, that's what it felt like. Like, I think we saw glimpses of it throughout the challenge cup of what Mm -hmm. she would be able to bring to this lineup. She did so much work in the cup and didn't get the payoff. So I felt like this was the payoff, right? Like we saw um, in the first game for Chicago, she did assist that the Sarah Lubert's goal, right? And then mm-hmm. in this game to get two goals and assist. And I especially loved that she combined twice with Vanessa DiBernardo. DiBernardo assisted her. She assisted DiBernardo. You know, they go back all the way to the 2012 U20 Women's World Cup. Um, yeah, it was like, that, that's her game. This is the reason she requested a trade. You know, that that's got to feel good to get that off her back, so to speak, and under her belt, right? That, that okay, I, I've scored, but she didn't just score for Chicago. She, like, pulled Chicago onto her back and said, all right, we're winning this game. Sure, we conceded in the first five minutes. Game ain't over yet, right? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you, you obviously had a chance to watch her up close for a long time in Houston, but I think everybody has kind of been waiting since she recovered from her ACL a while back for her to regain that 2016 form. And I think a lot of us thought last year she was primed. And, and to be frank, that Houston was primed to have that season. And then obviously it didn't work out for Watt or for Houston. And so I think Chicago, you know, took that shot that she could hit that level again. That looks like that she's capable of it. Because if you put what she did in the Challenge Cup, if you, if you look at the Challenge Cup, So I think she played six games there. Let's say that, you know, three of those were kind of your warm-up preseason games that they would have played against local colleges. Then now she's four or five games into a regular season and hitting this line of form. That's a good setup. That's a 10, 12-goal season probably that that she could have been potentially on track for. And you think about this game last weekend where – you didn't have McCaskill in the center of the park for Chicago, right. who we saw for most of Challenge Cup in the first half of their game at Washington, kind of, you know, playing maestro, right? So it's like the burden really was on Kalia um, to show up for that game and make something happen, and, and, and she did. And, and again, I come back to Vanessa DiBernardo as well, who's, you know, been part of the Red Stars you know, her entire pro career and I think, you know, doesn't get a lot of attention, but is just that 
stalwart in the middle. I mean, when she's been out with injury in the past is usually when Chicago struggled, right? She's a nice possession player and she can break a defense down. You know, I think she probably, I would say that she's played her best soccer either when she's playing in the pure 10 role because she can break a defense down. She can, you know, if she has good forwards to play underneath, she will provide them balls uh, in behind or through a back line. And I think there was that one year where she played that kind of tucked in left midfielder, which was an odd position, but she had a really good season there. It was probably more quiet in terms of statistics just because she was playing deeper on the field. But, you know, her ability to possess under pressure was huge for the team that year. Uh, And I think it's important, too, you mentioned McCaskill, because obviously we didn't get to see her last weekend because of her red card in the first fall series game. But I would say, you know, Watt and McCaskill were probably the two players that I think a lot of us were excited to watch this year because, you know, of what we had heard coming out of their preseason camp and their offseason in terms of how hard they had worked and, you know, that they were really both gearing themselves up for this to kind of be a, a return to greatness season. Watt, you know, looking at that 2016 season and I think for McCaskill probably looking at that 2017-2018 window where she was in and out of the national team. Um, I think mm-hmm. both of those players, they're, they're top level. Their ceiling is so high. And I think, you know, whether you're a fan of them as individuals or just a fan of Chicago wanting to see the team do well, those were the two players I think most of us were most keen to watch this year. So it's nice to see that uh, that their work's getting rewarded, even though we're in this kind of weird half and half sort of season. And I also want to talk about Zoe Goralski, who, yep. you know, we saw her get her first pro assist last year, and she's part of that class of 2018, you know, draft class that had such a hard time breaking in because suddenly there were 20 fewer spots in the league with Boston folding. So, you know, it, it's nice when a player, I think, has that chance to stick around with the team you know, get more minutes. And like I said, we saw the assist last year. Um, she got regular minutes, seems like, uh, in the Challenge Cup. And then to get her, her first pro goal. Tell, tell me about Zoe. Well, she, you know, the funny thing is, too, is, you know, we've normally seen her playing as an outside back, but then she plays right. as, as a winger in this game and plays great. You see, just the, the thing I love about watching her, and it kind of reminds me of another uh, player who, played for Chicago and then went to Houston. Taylor Como, I think, is kind of a similar mold in that there's just a ton yeah. of energy, a, a ton of desire. Um, you can just tell that every time she gets on the field, she just wants to make something happen. And it's kind of funny sometimes when she's playing in the back, um, you know, with, with Gorelski, because sometimes that eagerness gets the, the better of her and sometimes she'll whack somebody unnecessarily. But um, she does a great job competing. She, you know, she's a strong defender. She gets forward well. And I thought that energy in the attack was, was really important. And I think maybe what you're referring to when you said the assist, did you mean in the game or did you mean the one from the last, last year? Last season, last year. Yeah, because she had that play. And I don't think she actually got credit for it because I think she played the ball to Kerr, who played the ball to Short, if we're talking about the Orlando, um, no, the Orlando no, game. Think, but, oh, you're talking about different I ones? mean, I could... Yeah, I think it was the game, the 3-0 win at Sky Blue. Okay. 
Um, but anyway, the, the one, anyway, the one play I remember is the one against Orlando. You might remember when Casey Short scored in the 95th minute. And yes. that was a huge game for Chicago because they were, that was kind of the one that punched them into the playoffs. And Gorowski was a really late sub in that game. And she had won the ball, carried it upfield, found Kerr, who found Short for that goal. And she's just kind of been one of those players who's maybe 16, 17th deep on the roster. And now you're seeing right. in this year with, with certain players heading overseas and with obviously some players opting not to play some of these games, she's getting a chance and, and she's making the most of it. And that's what I'm so excited about for this this fall series is that chance that it affords players who not not just starters who maybe aren't regular starters or the bench player who wants to become a starter, but also that barely gets off the bench player to get more yep. minutes, right? Like I, I know there have been some people that you know panicking with with all the loans, but to me it's like this is such a wild open season, right? It's not preseason because at this point people are are more fit than they were when challenge cup started right and they've had more time with their teams and sure it's not regular season but it's this everybody's got something to fight for uh you know at the end of this you have the usual waiver draft where they can release players you know there's an expansion draft coming um you know that there's more expansion after that you know that next year is very likely fingers crossed uh, the olympics so that you know there will be national teamers departing and ntr spots opening so it's like here's your big opportunity and, and for savannah mccaskill and kaylee watt it's a hey vlaco nanosco are you watching <laughs> you know so right. um I, that, that's i think there's so much opportunity with these so i, I also want to talk about the players on the Chicago roster who were just signed for the fall series. Now, one of them, of course, Karen Biagalski, she, she was on the roster for challenge cup, but didn't get any minutes until this series. And then of course the new signings, Danny Rhodes out of Wisconsin, Kelsey Doherty out of UAB and Ariel Chavarin, who was drafted by Chicago, but did not make the challenge cup roster. Um, so tell me, tell me about those three, Danny, Kelsey, and, and Ariel. What what can you share? Well, I know with with uh, Cameron, that was a player that Rory was really high on coming out of the draft. I know that they, if if you go and look at their their second round when they drafted a number of defenders, that they were looking at her as one of those players to kind of potentially, um, you know, help out because I think one of the things that it, it, it kind of went under the radar, I think, with Chicago last year was that they had lost some of their depth in a way that I don't think people noticed, you know, with Naughton getting traded away, with Nikki Stanton leaving, Brooke Elby, and then obviously retiring, uh, right? You, you, well, and then, yeah, and then Aaron Wright being pregnant. You looked at you know, four or five really important depth players that all of a sudden were just gone. And so right away, now you're saying, well, wait a minute, you know, all of those you can sustain in terms of your first 11, right? I think Aaron was the only one that was a regular starter, but right, all of those were important players. All of those were players who, if somebody was injured or you needed a sub in the 60th minute, were going to be able to come in and help. And from a defensive point of view, the team really didn't have a lot of depth coming into the season. You know, they had Kayla Sharples and Hannah Davidson and 
Um, so they really went into that. You saw almost was... no minutes last year, right? Sharples and Davidson. Right. Them getting many minutes. Right. Yeah. I, actually, yeah, Davidson had played all, and Sharples played a couple of times, maybe two or three times. So they really needed to go into that draft and and grab some defenders. And you know, look, we all know Rory. Rory's gonna he's gonna wait. He's gonna bide his time. He's gonna try to get into the second or third round, and he's gonna try to grab two or three players in those rounds versus, you know, one player higher up. And he's going to kind of, you know, I guess maybe play the odds a little bit and see which of those players might be able to develop in a year or two. Um, right. You know, the, the other one that's impressed me that I don't think we've, we've talked about Zoe Morse coming in being the third round pick this last year and getting a lot of minutes at center back and, and even got some minutes in the challenge cup. And she's one of those players. I feel like when you watch, you don't even notice which a lot of times for a center back is a good thing because there just means they're not making any mistakes. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and also Bianca St. George, you know, drafted in 2019, yep. but we didn't see yep. her at all in 2019. I mean, they didn't even announce where she was, right. She wasn't signed and injured. She just wasn't mentioned at all. Right. So it didn't really come out till she debuted in the challenge cups. Like, Oh, she had had surgery right after the draft. So it was basically unavailable all of last year, but you know, a revelation to see her, yep. you know, kind of take the challenge cup by storm and with, you know, players missing and even more for the fall series, you know, cause you have Ertz opting out, like there's a lot on her shoulders. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about her. She doesn't, I mean, I, mean, I know technically she's not a rookie, even though she didn't play last year. Um, I, she I'd say she's play. a rookie. <laughs> okay. Well, she doesn't play like a rookie is my point in that yeah. know, she didn't yeah, have she any hesitation that. going into tackle. She didn't have any hesitation going forward. You saw in the, I, I'm I'm hesitating a bit. I think it was the semifinal where she had the was it a goal and two assists or yeah yeah um, yeah she just had that amazing game and just really has kind of decided that uh, you know she's gonna she's gonna make the most of these opportunities like we talked about and I'm glad you mentioned it too that yeah people make such a big deal out of the some of these you know bigger name national team players leaving but boy has this been fun if you like if you just like the league. If you just like watching new players, it, there have been so many fun stories to come out of this this season, both with the Challenge Cup and this fall series, getting to see some of these players that in a normal season we probably never would have gotten to see. And now right. not only are getting this chance, not only are, are taking that chance, but are probably going to become fun players to watch, as you mentioned, when expansion rolls around. Yeah, and, and I feel like we're in a much better place than we were, say, a year or two ago when there were rumors of expansion. And I think a lot of us felt like, is this league deep enough to handle another team? Right. right? And now I yep. feel like it's bursting with talent that bursting. needs starting a spot. So, it's, yep. yeah, it's, it's, it's been incredible to watch. And I think for new viewers, because with these games on CBS, right, like, you know, they're, they're posting really good numbers, higher numbers than, you know, women's soccer has ever seen for, you know, for, for pro leagues in this country, um, that it doesn't matter, you know, if they're watching one, they've already turned it on, right? Um, they're not going to turn it off when, oh, Julie Ertz isn't there, right? Like, these right. they're exciting games i mean even the scoreless draw for north carolina and orlando i mean chances on both ends dramatic saves i mean oh my god was that carrie lawrence one of the you know 
signed only for the fall, like makes, you know, a save off the line. Just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's great stuff yeah. to watch. But of course, anybody yeah. listening to yeah. this, we're, we're, we're preaching to the choir anyway. Um, but what else did I want to ask you about Chicago? Let me look at this, this roster get like, the, yeah, there's so many, so many great young talents on, on, on this team. Um, like Sarah, well, Sarah Lubert, Lubert, we need to talk well, no, about we, Sarah yeah. Lubert. There you go. Because she has, she has some dynamic abilities. When you watch her carrying the ball forward, you know, um, she, she's one of those players you could see really developing. And it's kind of a surprise, of course, that, you know, again, probably a Rory special because, you know, you look at her stats in college, I think she had like eight goals her senior year. So that's not something that necessarily jumps off the page at you, but obviously there's some talent there that uh, put in the, put in the right situation. She could be a really nice player. And um, it was, it was our friend, Claire Watkins, who, who kind of made a, a darker comment during the last game, which was that, you know, if I was a, a Chicago forward, on loan overseas right now, I might be watching these games and starting to get a little bit worried. And that's because when you <laughs> see a player like Luber playing as well as she is, right? I mean, Chicago's got, I think, three forwards overseas, and um, they've got some others who aren't playing right now in, in this in this fall series. And boy, yeah, Lubert is a player who definitely could, you know, work her way into those top four or five forwards next year. And if that's the case, She's going to put a lot of pressure on some of those forwards that got brought in this past offseason. Well, and and I like how um, some of these undrafted names, it's kind of upending the whole idea of, you know, draftees are, you know, certain to be part of the league, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a crapshoot. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just a, as an indication that when there's only 40 draft spots or 36 draft spots and so much talent, you know, it, it, it speaks to why, you know, Louisville and Angel City and whoever comes after them, you know, will be welcome additions to the league to, you know, get more of this, this talent out there. I mean, there's 333 Division One women's NCAA programs, right? That doesn't even count Div 2 or NIA or anything like, like so many players graduating each year. And despite all of the loan news of people going overseas, there's not nearly as much space overseas as, as you might think if you're panicking, right? right? Like not everybody can go overseas, especially not into the big leagues, right? Um, you know, they only... only the only the only uh, loan loan that they get 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 from Wisconsin, you should look at, or was it Kalia Watt saying, "Hey, it's my husband's brother's girlfriend. You should look at," um, you know, or or she was already on his radar because you know, obviously, he's keeping an eye on anything that's happening in Wisconsin soccer. It's a, it's a good it's a good question. You know, we know obviously he's <laughs> he's he's super familiar with the youth set up in this country, especially in the Midwest. Um, but they have a ton of fun stories like that. If you, you know, if you were to talk about how he found out about Sofia Huerta, it was Julie Earth saying, I right, got a college right. teammate. Or That's a, what Alyssa made me Nayer. think about it. 
Right. Alyssa Nayer is the one who convinced Nagasato to come to Chicago. So um, there's a bunch of stories like that. Or Lynn Williams telling Paul Riley when Paul's like, oh, these people are going out. She's like, oh, let me call my old roommate from Pepperdine. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know what you mentioned earlier, though, about the the opportunities, too, is that, and we had talked about this when when I was writing about Brie Vasali a few weeks back and how the, depending on what year you came into the league can have yes. just such a massive effect on your career trajectory because that was the year that the, that the Boston folded. And so that, of course, created that extra you know, group of, of players that were being dispersed throughout the league. And so all of a sudden now rosters, as you mentioned, are bursting. And so what do you do with these players? And you, you just wonder over the past, few years how many of these players just had never got that shot and we never really got to see what they could do and then just went off and you know got a, a regular type job yeah and and like the woso nerd that i am after you published that article i had to send you a whole list by year of of the people who got drafted who actually got signed and who played and it and it's such a tight list for 2018 because of boston folding right um mm-hmm. and and also, it, it's did you get drafted in a World Cup or an Olympic year, right? Where maybe yeah. you didn't make the regular roster, but you've got a chance to stick around um, and get an NTR slot. And also importantly, like because if you go too far back in, in in the history, you have to add that little asterisk of well, they might have gotten an NTR spot, but it was unpaid. At least now we know that that any player earning a temporary contract. They're paid. They're paid at the minimum salary. They're they're insured. All, you know, all that all that stuff. So there's a way. You know, um, it's not the financial suicide, as as some may say, to stick around the way it was just five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's one of those things where I think in the past we've we've seen these players who maybe didn't get the chance that they needed and. You know, it's funny because I was talking to Chicago's old assistant, Gary Kernin, who was there when Vasali was there. And he talked a lot about that, too, and how these players don't get those chances. And, you know, the league doesn't have a, a reserve. There are, there are some teams that play with reserve teams or U23 teams here and there, but it's not a consistent thing. And so, you know, these players Actually, not this the year. league. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if those players don't, make that impact and there's a financial part to it too because it's not just whether or not they're getting paid on those short-term contracts it's you know can i survive without starting my career and so there's a there's an economic part of that too where you have to have the means to just extend your career long enough to get that opportunity yeah it's 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 such a fluid landscape and, and I don't think that that kind of context always gets communicated in your regular coverage you know uh, of these teams right it's it's just the facts of like so and so got drafted and they never played so and so didn't get drafted but they played you know just like there there's so much nuance to it and and similar to that like with um, the loans the fall loans a few player transfers um, that I feel like we're entering European soccer territory slash men's soccer territory that we haven't seen for women's pro soccer in the U.S. before, right? Um, and I can understand why someone who's fairly new to following NWSL might panic or like, what does this mean? Everybody's leaving. It's like, these are loans. These are yeah. normal. You know, 
it's a very weird time. So, hey, you know, if you're an international player, especially the ones in Euro qualifying, right? Like it's better that they go on loan to European league where they're nearby for their international teams and don't have to go in and out of quarantine, you know? So like Nagasato, obviously no longer with their national team, but I would think about it, it's like totally makes sense for her to go home and be with a team, you know, where it's like, this will, this will be her only opportunity to be home. Right. If she stayed, mm-hmm. she'd have much less opportunity. Um, you know, and then for some of the other players on Chicago that are on loan, uh, you know, especially ones kind of newer to the team. When I look at like Mackenzie Doniak or Emily Boyd, Kayla Sharples, like, yeah, they need more minutes and they maybe need more than just, what the four games for the fall series would provide, right? Like they're kind of known entities to Roy Dames. So they need more minutes and maybe the challenge of a different environment, different teammates, different opposition. Right. Um, and especially yeah. goalkeepers, Emily Boyd, Cassie Miller. It's, it's like, it's always hard to get goalkeepers minutes, you know, so that, so that's great opportunity for them. Um, speaking of goalkeepers, you know, what can you tell us about Kelsey Doherty? Um, you know, so, so she's the only backup. Or is that a laugh? I wish I could. I wish I could tell you anything. You know, I yeah. I, uh, I joked with with Sandra and Claire when when both you know Emily and Cassie went overseas before they had announced before Chicago had announced their fall roster. Of course, if, if, if you're on the media side of this, you know that most of these teams didn't announce their fall roster until like a day before their game. So it was kind yeah. of a nightmare yeah. to figure out. But I, I joked, I was like, one, who is Chicago's backup goalkeeper? And yeah. <laughs> two, you, you know, make sure you leave your phone on because Rory might be giving you a call and you might have to fly over to SeatGeek because – you know, we couldn't even figure out if they were going to have 15 players on their roster or not based on how many players decided to go overseas. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it still kind of makes me laugh that Portland decided to go with Nutty Nunger again, but they still won't even say it publicly. Like she's not on their roster in, in, in their game notes where it's like, why is it a bad thing? I mean, that's separate from my feeling of seriously, you can't sign somebody for six weeks to train in one of the best training environments in the country, you know, so that our incredibly deep pool of goalkeepers <laughs> gets even stronger, but that's a whole separate topic. Um, but yeah, it's always hard with goalkeepers. Like I wasn't surprised to see as many goalkeepers going on loan as I did where it's like, yeah, they need minutes. Right. And then, then you have an yeah. opportunity for someone like Kelsey Doherty, who is an unknown, even if she doesn't see any minutes in the challenge cup, she gets, you know, an intense training environment with some serious professionals. And, you know, maybe there's not a spot for her with Chicago, but then you make those connections like we were referencing where maybe a listener go, oh, well, you should talk to so-and-so or Rory can say, I can set you up with this club or, you know, it's like just getting in the mix and, and building up your reputation, you know? Well, that's, Uh, you know, goalkeeper is probably the one position because Portland has three starting keepers. The Rain have three starting keepers. Utah's got two starting keepers. North Carolina's got right. two starting keepers. I mean, these are legitimate professional goalkeepers who are not playing at all. Right, right. So it's it's fascinating to watch, right? And there's so much happening in this kind of condensed period. And this this year has been so weird that I totally understand why some fans are like, wait, what? How? Why? What's going on? Right? So... 
I, I feel like just to stay on top of my Google spreadsheet of rosters by club is a yeah. challenge, right? Like yeah. not only who's where, but who's been signed to what. And then of course, after this fall series, then we'll have the waiver draft, the expansion draft, uh, <laughs> yeah. a college draft, I think, <laughs> because yeah. uh, I saw on an ACC game last week that NCAA is talking about doing the women's soccer championship tournament, like in April, you know, so if yeah, that happens, well, be... then, yeah, do you like wait and do, yeah, like, like it, it's going to be crazy. But I also feel like having such an unprecedented year like this one it's kind of forcing clubs and more importantly, the league to be creative and think outside in a box that they ha- haven't before. Right. Like we would have mm-hmm. never had anything like challenge cup without what happened this year. Um, and I think, you know, we all agree it was a resounding success and, and obviously you don't want to do it exactly the same way again, where you have to trap people in Utah for five weeks, right. you know, to, to, to play a compressed tournament. But you could do something like that again. Like, uh, and all the coaches spoke about having that knockout game experience is something that's so hard to come by, right? When you only have yeah, four, four teams advancing each year. I would really like to see them bring that in for Olympic and World Cup years and just let the, the non-national team players play for a month and do it in a cup yeah. format. And that way coaches aren't worried about wins and losses as much they can try some new players out it gives the league something to you know like the, the idea that the league just like takes a month off has always been a little bit crazy to me and i understand maybe in the past if you didn't have certain players you maybe there wasn't going to be a draw but i think those days are over i think you know well especially especially because 2016 you know when they took the month off rosters were only 20 players Right. So you had yeah. a really depleted crew and you brought in players who weren't necessarily already part of the team. Now that rosters can be up to 26, 26 players, right? That hit isn't as big. And right. you're using players to fill in who are, have already been training with you week in, week out. I was thinking, uh, kind of like, like what you're thinking, like it'd be perfect to do the Challenge Cup in that window you know, during the Olympics, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And you just schedule it around those games. I mean, the Olympics in Japan, all those games would be like early morning and late night anyway. So it'd be easy to, to, to schedule yeah. uh, around that. And you're taking advantage of the soccer. Yeah. Go ahead. You don't, you don't have to worry about like, like let's say, you know, you have a player that kind of that middle tier, which isn't really a national team player, but still plays week in and week out you can limit their minutes over that month too, so that they get a little bit of a break. And there's just a lot of fun things you can do with, with that type of a situation. Again, if they're creative about it, I think that's one of the frustrating things about the past is that there just hasn't been that, that willingness to like, let's just try this. And yeah, depending on how schedule falls, like the way the, Olympic schedule was if it had happened this summer, um, only one game was going to end up being in prime time, nighttime, and that would have been the final. I think it would have been like a 9 p.m. Central kick because uh, it would have been an early day game in, in Japan. You could have like a six o'clock kickoff for a game, 
or 6.30. The game ends at 8.30 and just say, all right, we're leaving the stadium open. We're going to show the final on the big screen. You know, like that that kind of creativity. Hey, let's 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 partner with the momentum of the Olympics as much as we can, right? Right. I think, you know, I think that could be really fun. All right, so last question, John. Um, you know, thoughts for let's see, how do I want to say this? Like, you know, what Rory is looking to get, what Rory Dames is looking to get out of these last two games for Chicago. I mean, it's funny that like, oh, they've only played two games, but they only have two games left. (laughs) Well, and you know, the thing is, is I think the, the, the gut reaction is thinking about next year and, you know, where maybe he has some depth or maybe even who he might want to protect for the expansion draft. But I think if you look at Chicago's roster, it's pretty easy to pick which players are probably going to get protected. So I think it's more yeah. about thinking thinking two steps past that and thinking, okay, these are the players I'm going to protect. These are the players that I might lose. Who are the players behind them that I can now pull up? Um, and it's a double-edged sword because when you see a player, like you mentioned, Bianca St. George play as well as she did, she's probably not going to get protected. But at the same time, that would be a body blow if they lost her because she's looking like a legit professional. Or if they lose Sarah Lubert or Gorolowski or Zoe Morse, you know, some of those players look like they can be legit players in this league. So, you know, there's a downside of having your second tier come in and play really well too. Well, and that, that begs the question. So I lied. That wasn't your last question. Um, <laughs> you know, Chicago has five, currently five players that are U S allocations. Um, of course, I would assume that, you know, Gatro would not be an allocation next year, but uh, apparently the the expansion draft will be based on current allocation. So it's just strange, but anyway, Chicago's got five, you know, does that mean they protect two and Rory tries to trade some to get value or you just lose some national teamers, right? Like, yeah, I guess they can I, only, I they can only I mean, lose one, but we, we all heard the same thing last year with North Carolina, right? That North Carolina was going to try to trade one of their national team players. And it was, it yeah. sounded crazy when we all heard it because we thought, how could you possibly trade this player? But if you're going to lose them anyway, you yeah, we'll get some value yeah. for them. So yeah, um, much much like Houston did with the Orlando expansion trading Kling because they could only protect two. At least you want to get value right. as opposed to nothing. Yeah, and then and then you it's wonder not- too if if you if you let them get picked and then you trade back for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for us to actually know exactly when the expansion draft is and what the rules are. Right? Because it's. It's I'm sure wild. everybody's working on the assumption of, you know, last time it's like, well, you if you're a playoff team, you can protect nine. If you weren't, you can protect 10. You know, are they going to go the same way or not? So, so much, so much to, to see. And there's going to uh, well, be so course, many good players available. And that's, that's why I'm excited that on the coming behind Louisville, we know that we've got Angel City in 2022, right? And mm-hmm. possibly possibly yeah, Sacramento. So you know that anybody that that's a, you know kind of odd player out in 2021 at least you know that it's not that far 
until there's another space opening up. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk Chicago, talk NWSL, and, and keep up the great work covering the women's game in the Windy City. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Time to wrap it up at the back four. Of course, we have the NWSL Fall Series continuing this weekend with three games all on Saturday. The full schedule for the Fall Series has been entered into the Keeper Notes WOSO calendar. That's a Google calendar. Uh, You can search for it on Google or you can go to keepernotes.com and link to it under WOSO Nerd Links. And all the other games that aren't on big CBS, because of course there's a game of the week each week, those will be on either Twitch or CBS All Access. And every single game will be on Twitch for international viewers. Um, If you don't already have CBS All Access, for those of you in USA and Canada, it's just $6 a month, includes a free trial, still has every single Challenge Cup game available for viewing. Um, You know, it's available on Apple TV and your smartphone and all that stuff, so definitely worth looking into. And international viewers, i.e. outside USA and Canada, they can re-watch any of the Challenge Cup games straight on nwslsoccer.com. You just have to click on the schedule, click on the game you want to watch, and the video should auto-load. Also, if you're trying to keep up with who's playing where and why and when, uh, well, at least with NWSL, uh, I have my NWSL Google spreadsheet separated by clubs. You can see who's with each club, who's on loan, um, who's been signed only for the fall series, etc. who might be on leave, etc. cetera. Uh, that's linked at keepernotes.com. Just click on Woso Nerd Links. If you see an error or you have a question, don't hesitate to email me, keeper at keepernotes.com. And if you need even more NWSL stats and data and facts and stories, then you definitely want to buy my NWSL Almanac, or if you're Dash fan, the Dash Almanac. Check them out, keepernotes.com. You can buy the print version, the PDF version, or both. And speaking of shopping, don't forget to check out nwslshop.com. Lots of new gear for all the teams and Challenge Cup generic gear. It's kind of cool to see some NWSL gear um, available. And for those of you that are looking for custom NWSL items that you might not be able to find elsewhere, uh, I would highly recommend checking out soccerforall.com. That's soccer4all.com. I used to work at this company. Um, I did a lot of custom NWSL stuff at the time. So you can reach out to Soccer for All and they can help you with customization um, or even finding maybe you can't find the jersey you're looking for in a certain size. They're willing to help as much as they can. They can't solve every problem when it comes to Woso uh, merch and, and jersey sizes, but they're definitely willing to try. All right, that's it for this episode. I uh, want to thank IcarusFC.com for their sponsorship. And, of course, the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast. Lots of great Woso content uh, coming up these days on the Beautiful Game Network. And, of course, many thanks to Sean, my producer, for making this all possible. But now she's anybody's girl.